0: Welcome to our service this morning. This the first Sunday of Advent. Welcome to you if you're joining online, and welcome to you here as you join with us uh, to praise God. On this first Sunday of Advent, we remember the prophet Isaiah and the proclamations that he made to the people of Israel, almost. Five hundred years before the birth of Christ and the the difference that he would make to this world as it says in Isaiah chapter 2 let us go to the hill of the Lord the temple of Israel's God he will teach us what he wants us to do we will walk in the paths he has chosen
1: I'm going to invite Rita Rita Dixon to come and take us in our reading this morning uh, from Acts chapter 18.
2: 18. Then Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Then he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently left Italy with his wife Priscilla. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. Each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, but when they opposed and insulted him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is upon your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. Then he left and went to the house of Titus Justus, a Gentile who worshipped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, And were baptized one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him don't be afraid speak out don't be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you and harm you for many people in this city belong to me so Paul stayed there for the next year and a half teaching the Word of God but when Gallio became governor of Achaia Some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case, but since it is merely a question of words and names and your jury's law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. The crowd then gathered, sustained the leaders of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Galileo paid no attention. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs)
1: Just dispose of matches here. Hang on, bear with me. There we are. It's lovely to be here this morning. It's lovely to have the lights on uh, and start to feel a little bit Christmassy. Uh, hopefully, many of you joined us for our Twilight Market on Friday evening, it was a great success, you'll hear a little bit more about it later on. Um, I don't know if you spotted me at the twilight market or not because they hid me round the corner, round the back. Uh, For those of you who were there and spotted me, uh, my my role for the night was to be left outside in the cold, Um, (laughs) Thank you. Um, beside the barbecue of all places for the night, uh, hopefully there's been no accusations of food poisoning, Uh, if it was, it was the sausages and they weren't my responsibility. Um, so I was cooking burgers all night. Uh, James lost me for the night, he couldn't find me, and he felt sorry for me at one point and then came out and realised that I was quite happy there because in front of me, using the Wi Fi, I had the football on and i sat and i had the the netherlands senegal game was on on my phone and i was flipping burgers in the dark in the middle of winter and it was quite a nice couple of hours when i was out there just in my space to have time to chat to people and to watch the football and people came past and they asked about the football uh, some people had lots of input some people said that they were a bit sick of it on TV, and could do with something else on, because it really has consumed a lot of our media and a lot of television. Maybe I'm watching different television to some of you, but for me, a lot of the focus revolves around football at the minute. Um, Every morning when the kids wake up, first of all, Sarah and I have a debate over who's going to get up to go downstairs with the kids, and who gets an extra half hour in bed. An hour of football highlights every morning means that it is currently me for the next number of weeks as we go through that, and uh, it's it's a time that uh, we get to sit down. I have sit down and watch the football as they play with their toys uh, and entertain themselves. And suddenly, football. I'm sorry to talk about football again. I'm sorry. I'm really not that into football, but it is. It's it's become all encompassing. It has become the the focus of many conversations. The focus of of our of, of, of friendship groups, of, of passing communities, even in schools at the minute, they're talking about having uh, in Harmony Hill, some of them did a draw, to what team they're going to support for the World Cup and which person's going to be, uh, the country they're representing. And it becomes all encompassing of our conversations. It's easy for it to become the full focus of our hearts. And then it's easy to get distracted as to what should be the focus of our hearts. At this time of Advent. Paul has just arrived in Corinth. He's left Athens and has gone to Corinth. And he has arrived at what is probably one of the most important cities of the time. The country was split in two. uh, Geographically split in two. That you had peninsulas coming out either direction. And to get from one peninsula to the other. You had to travel through the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth became the main trading hub for the community. It was a fast-growing city, but it wasn't a holy city. It wasn't a place of purity. It wasn't a place where people went uh, for for good reasons. In fact, across that time, if uh, an actor on stage was to be representing the people of Corinth, he normally was very drunk. He rarely had a home. And he rarely uh, had a good thing to say. The people of Corinth were represented in the the media of the time as being a evil people. A dark place. Not a nice place to go. And this is where Paul goes. Paul goes and they meet a couple who have just settled there as they have fled Rome. And God has gone to be there. Or uh, Paul has gone to be there uh, to bring the word of God. And as he has gone... He has gone and uh, I want want to take three things from this morning as we go through this. And the first thing he does when he arrives in this city is not to stand and proclaim the word of God on the street corner, to not stand and correct people on their behavior. But the first thing he does, we're told that he he goes to do, is he goes and gets a job. Now, to be a rabbi of the time, it was very important that rabbis were self-sufficient, that they looked after themselves that they had a trade, and they were able to support themselves freely. Uh, Within the Jewish community, it was very important that uh, people had a trade, that they had work that they could do. Uh, It was told, if you didn't teach your son a trade, he who does not teach his son a trade teaches him robbery. Everyone had to have a job, a role, and a responsibility. And Paul was a skilled craftsman. In fact, his skill was in leather. His work would have been uh, leather works and within the city of Corinth there was a certain type of goat which was particularly good at being made into tents. Uh, It might take a lot of goats to make a tent, but that was his skill, that was his craft and he would have taken his time preparing tents for the community. He became self-sufficient, he looked after himself and he was there in the community. And that is the first thing that he does when he arrives in it. In, into this new city. That he doesn't arrive in above a community, he doesn't arrive in below it, but the first thing he does is he arrives in to be part of a community. We are called by God to be his people in community, not to, to arrive in Lisburn city centre and to be above people and to tell them how they should or should not behave, but first of all, to be with them, to be part of a community. To be there in friendship and relationship. And that is where the early church flourished. Historians have shown us that, that the first churches uh, weren't necessarily always in buildings, or uh, uh, church buildings like this, or even in homes. The places where churches grew and flourished were in shops, were in warehouses, were in places where workers gathered together to meet, and then they took that word home. Uh, I've really enjoyed being part of Der Volgi over the past number of months and as we've traveled around in our, our Parish visits I've got to meet some of the people who were at the founding of this church and this church started in a shop and some of you might have been There as as it was formed in a shop in a part of the community and that is a really important part of our history as we engage with the families and homes around us to remain part of a community and to remain as people who work hard and are not seen as above a community. For the Jews, they loved work, and they saw great importance in the role that came to them. Then Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, and Paul was able to devote himself exclusively to preaching and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Perhaps they brought him a gift. Perhaps they were able to sustain him, Perhaps the church had grown to a length that it now needed a full-time pastor or leader to look after them and shepherd them. But Paul devotes himself and puts himself in the limelight as someone leading the church. This wasn't out of ego. This wasn't out of a sense of desire necessarily to be there. But it's important to realize that we are looking at a time when to do so would have meant persecution. So Paul puts himself forward As the persecuted leader of the church, Paul was a a person who knew exactly what could happen to him by doing so. In a city where people were not accepting of these ways, Paul puts himself in a position knowing that he will be targeted and accused of leading people away from Jewish culture. And I love that Paul then becomes afraid. Because Paul was fully human. Paul was not anyone coming through with uh, the, the purity of the Messiah. But Paul was just like you and I. Paul was someone who was called to speak to a community around him. To share the love of God with the people closest to him. And that terrified him. I am terrified by the concept sometimes of sharing my faith with people of talking with them, of opening up, of being vulnerable with what I believe and allowing them to critique it and for them to learn from it. And here's Paul doing exactly the same thing, that Paul opens up in his faith. He is now a trusted member of the community and he has the chance and the opportunity to share. For when God calls us to a purpose, when God calls us with a purpose and a reason, He gives us the power to complete it. That if we are given a task, we are given the power to do it. He is afraid. He is terrified. And one one night the Lord speaks to him in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul, a man who is currently afraid for himself afraid for his life, afraid for his persecution, he stays in this place for a year and a half. He stays there for a year and a half facing persecution and facing a time of people out to get him. He knows that in this time that when he is asked to do something, he does it. I'm going to take us back a little bit to Acts chapter 12 because there's an important lesson in what Paul is, is, is teaching us here. And we can learn from Peter and his time of imprisonment. In Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter's imprisoned. Peter's taken and he is locked up and he's being kept there and the church begins to pray for him. The church pray for him and they pray earnestly for him. And so in this time of persecution, an angel appears in prison to him. The angel, uh, the night before he was to go to trial, he was sleeping between two soldiers, soldiers bound with chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to him and struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. He then, God then covers the eyes of the soldiers. He opens the gates of the cell and Peter walks out of prison. He walks out until the angel disappears and Peter realizes that this was not a vision and that he really has just escaped from prison. Now, I fully believe in this story that God would have had the power to pick up Peter and remove him from that situation and free him from prison. Yet that's not what God does. God comes and does all of the impossible things that Peter wasn't able to do. Peter wasn't able to take off the chains himself. Peter wasn't able to open the gates. Peter wasn't able to cover the eyes of the soldiers, but he was able to stand up. He was able to put on his shoes, which he does himself. He was able to walk out of that building. And this is what we're being shown here again in Acts chapter 18, is that God calls us to do impossible things by doing the possible If we are called to do something and it seems terrifying and daunting and we're afraid and we don't know what to say or we don't know how to act, we we must trust that in our preparation that God calls us to do the possible and he'll look after the rest. He calls us to be there, to open our mouth, to, to lead in our actions and all the impossible things that terrify us are the things that, look, that he will look after us. So first of all, Paul is part of the community. Second of all, he does what he can, knowing God will do the rest. And then finally, the way he does it is through his leadership. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, was once asked, what are the three most important traits of a leader? Integrity, integrity, integrity. Paul leads with integrity. He leads in a way in which his character wasn't able to be questioned. He leads in a way in which people know the type of man that he was. They know that his words matched his actions and that they could do nothing to fault him. In this passage we see the Jews finally get a chance to bring him before the state. They bring him there and they try and get him sentenced for crimes. Yet. Those there can see that there is nothing he has done wrong. Settle the matter yourselves. I will be no judge of such things. And they're sent away. Paul lives a blameless life. He lives a pure life. His words match his actions. Integrity in leadership. Integrity in the community. Integrity in in our actions. The Romans could not prosecute him. We have uh, a responsibility in our actions, in our words, how we present ourselves, how we engage with the community around us. Sometimes mankind remembers us for the mistakes that we make. Um, I bumped into the couple at the ambulance on uh, Friday night that were here serving and were were demonstrating and showing us part of their their air rescue service and the drones. Uh, The lady doing that, her son and I were at school together and we were very good friends at school but part of me dreads the concept of I was thankful that he wasn't there because the way that I perhaps acted in school wouldn't have been representative of how I would want to be known by members of the congregation here today. And sometimes it's easy for people to remember the bad things that we do before they remember the good and pure decisions we make. God does not do that. When we come to God for forgiveness, at the beginning of all our services, we have confession. God wipes away those, those things. He forgets about them. He doesn't hold a grudge. God doesn't remember the mistakes you make. Mankind might remember the mistakes you make, but God does not remember the mistakes you make. Yet when we lead, when we present ourselves with integrity, when we do all that we can to engage with the community in a way that we feel God is leading our hearts to do so, that is when people come to Christ. That's when people come to know and love the Lord. That is when, just like in in our reading this morning, people are saved and baptized. That's where growth comes from. Growth comes from being part of a community, knowing that God will do the impossible if we do the possible. And our responsibility is to lead with integrity, integrity, integrity. There are two things I want you to remember from this morning. First of all, that is how we go out from here. But second of all, I want to bring you back to our beginning conversation, which is the World Cup. As we think about the World Cup, integrity is not necessarily a terminology which can be used to describe those who govern the country of Qatar or manage and govern the organisation FIFA. When we watch the World Cup, it is easy for us to sometimes forget the troubles and difficulties that have led to this decision and to this place that was there. As we read our gospel as we read our, 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 our uh, readings this morning, we look at these as a state of history, of persecution, thinking that we don't face that today but there are many countries in the world where persecution is still real, where persecution is faced on a daily basis, where for many people to stand up like Paul did and to present themselves as leaders of churches mean that their families and friends face isolation from the rest of the community. I wanna draw us back in this Advent season, back to Open Doors, which which began our journey through the Book of Acts. Open Doors have released a resource Uh, which hopefully we'll share on Facebook this afternoon, uh, and and maybe post out some of the information, asking us to pray. To pray earnestly during the World Cup. To pray for the countries which still face persecution. This afternoon, Morocco are playing in the World Cup, and they are 27th on the list uh, that was shared with us from Open Doors of the countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. There are, are many threats from Islamic oppression and open doors are asking us that during games such as that we can remember to pray for the country of Morocco. That their penal codes criminalizes shaking the faith of a Muslim. If you decide to share your faith with someone the wrong person you can be persecuted for that and face time in prison. It can lead to your arrest, it can lead to your possessions being seized, it can lead to your family being isolated. Tomorrow, Cameroon play. And in Cameroon, again, many uh, is is a heavily persecuted country. And the ongoing crisis there means that in the northern region, uh, the government, the, the civil war in Cameroon means that people are being taken away, the government having time to focus on the people and Christians being captured in the north of the country. So when Cameroon play tomorrow, we ask that you take time to pray for Cameroon. To pray for Iran, for Saudi Arabia, for Qatar, for Tunisia, and for Mexico. Places where Christians face persecution. Where Christians face difficult. Christians who are living with integrity as part of the community must do so silently and secretly. So as not to face persecution or death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this season of Advent. As we prepare our hearts for this season, as we prepare our hearts for the arrival of your Son, we thank you for the prophets who went and prepared the way. We thank you for those who prepared the way for us in this church, in this parish of St. Columbus de We thank you for all of those faithful servants who have led and brought us to this time. We ask that we may have the courage and confidence to go out and be part of our community, to know that you will look after the impossible as we do the possible. And Father, may we always lead with integrity, with a care and a heart for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for the persecution across the world. May our brothers and sisters know your presence near to them this season. May they know your presence is always near them and goes before them. And may we do all that we can to support, encourage, and stand up for the voiceless. In your name we pray. Amen. (coughs)
0: we just close our service with a prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of praise and learning together. We thank you for all that you have taught us and given to us this morning. We thank you for the encouragement of being together be with us now as we share in conversation together at the end of our service as we share in prayer and in praise of you during the week ahead bless us as we have met together in jesus name amen